Real News. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is November 26, 2019, and uh, it's a couple days until we get to Thanksgiving and the indulgent Black Friday. Um, I have a few things on my eye to get, but the best thing that I will be getting is receiving my daughter on Thanksgiving Day, so I am extremely thankful for that. I haven't even told my young one, and I know that I removed the app so she can't listen to her mom's show, so she doesn't know. So that'll be a lot of fun. It seems like everything we do um, in life comes back to us, either that be good or bad boomerang, right? That's uh, the way karma works. And sometimes, kind of like Eddie Gallagher, you know, I was listening to commentary this morning on the radio while I was doing my mom run. And um, I said, it was Scott Adams, I think, uh, that I heard say, you know, we send these Navy SEALs out there and we literally tell them, go there and be a savage and kill people and do things that normally a guy that's in Whole Foods shopping, right, would never even think of doing. And then... We want to hold them to the same standard as, you know, the, you know, average Joe in the United States on what, where their morality meter is, uh, in regards to posing with, uh, you know, a dead target. Now, I myself would have never posed with a dead target. I myself probably wouldn't have killed someone either. Though in my presence, I've seen death. And this is, you know, something that plagues me seeing it and the way it's conducted. Um, because no matter how hard you are during that period of time, uh, observing it, uh, you get desensitized after a while when you're in um, the midst of war. You get completely desensitized because your objective is to follow orders and do as you're told. Because that is what every soldier should do. And this is why the uh, U.S. Uh, Navy secretary was fired, because he didn't do what he was told. He didn't follow an order. And this is something imperative in the U.S. Armed Forces to be able to understand that if your commander-in-chief gives an order, you follow it. Whoever that may be. And for him, it was President Trump, and he completely defied it. Now, I'm not saying that it's a good thing. Uh, that he posed with someone dead. But I can tell you that I've seen worse with my own eyes. And I'm not saying that it's not okay. And I'm not saying that I didn't report it or if I did report it. Because everybody's morality meter moves depending on the predicament they're in. Yeah, I was watching a movie where there was this woman and... Um, her husband was hit by a car. Her husband didn't have insurance. The other guy had a lot of money and, you know, uh, she tried to sue because he was the only source of income. She was actually illiterate, raised in like, you know, a family with no schooling. And she was lucky. She had a really good husband, you know, that worked really hard, but they had a mortgage. They had bills. Turns out 
She was losing the house, everything, and she turned to prostitution. This is a woman that baked cookies for PTA, went to church all the time, you know, uh, raised her children in a very good way, but circumstance changed her moral compass uh, for survival, what she believed was a good thing to be, you know, a high paid call girl so that she can maintain the lifestyle for her kids. So while her kids were sleeping, right. And they were aged between the age of 12 and 14 in this movie. Uh, she had someone come in to babysit while she went out with clients. And then in the morning she would come in before they wake up and, you know, dress down, take her makeup off, do their little lunches, feed them, go on. And the kids were none the wiser. And then, you know, you would think, like, I sat there with, uh, with my daughter and I thought, wow, right? I mean, she, you know, this is, this is really hard for a woman to just sell her body because she wants to keep her kids happy. And my daughter said, well, mom, you know, I would be really upset if you did that because that would never be something that I would accept. And I said, but you have to understand her circumstance and how she excuses it. Kind of like the, the lady that went to jail and got five years in prison for stealing baby formula because baby formula wasn't covered under her food stamps because it had to be specific because her baby had an allergy. If you guys remember that story, it went around around three years ago. She's like, I'm not a thief, but I had to. My baby needs to eat. I have no money. I can't get a job because the baby's like a week old. Like, what do I do? And the judge sent her to jail and her kid ended up in the foster system, probably in one of those underground places where we like collected children in what you would consider horrific. See, people don't like to talk about that because they're like, oh, you're so, you know, you're so such a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, it's easy to just paint everything with a conspiracy theory tag because we don't like what we hear. It's easy to say that. I get told that a lot. Aren't you upset with yourself? You're talking about Ilhan. Oh my gosh, the flack that I've gotten on Ilhan Omar. It was about a year ago that I told the world that her name is not what it is. I said that in January of 2019. But obviously, you know, somebody else comes along and says, oh, we discovered her name is not really that. And I'm like, um, that's old news. And then it's like, hey, you know, she met with Rouhani and she was giving information to Iran. She's a Qatari agent. I've been saying it till I'm blue in the face. Uh, you know, the imam has been saying it till he's blue in the face. But, you know, when things are sealed and when there's courts going on, you can only say sources say you can't say, yo, look, there's a case right there. Oh, by the way, there's a uh, investigation going on. Oh, by the way, there's grand jury deliberation under seal. Yeah. So, uh, you know. I'm going to say that so I can go to jail, right? No, I'm just going to say source to say. And the thing is, people will say, well, well, that's not credible. We need to know who. Well, you'll see if it's credible or not. Obviously, everything Laura Loomer has been saying is completely credible. Everything that we've been posting in regards to Ilhan Omar, completely credible. Yet for some reason, people question the people that are giving them guidance to open their eyes. That's a problem with today's society is that we all operate in bad faith. Bad faith is a really big deal. Bad faith means that anytime you engage in a conversation, you listen to someone, you interact with someone, you have some exchange that you go in there considering that they're with there with the worst intentions rather than take them at a hundred percent. You know, my dad, super wise man, 
said to me, whoever you meet, I don't care what you've heard of them. I don't care if it was, you know, Charles Manson or, you know, uh, Elise. <laughs> okay. Let me just say OJ Simpson. Let's say, um, you're going to take them at a hundred percent because everyone deserves when they get, when you meet with them to be treated at a hundred percent face value. It's up to them to stay at that a hundred percent. If everyone applied that notion in every single interaction, we wouldn't be here. This is why in a court of law, if a prosecutor acts in bad faith, that's actually a crime. If your insurance company adds in bad, acts in bad faith, that's a crime. If anybody that's an, in an official capacity acts in bad faith, meaning that you're guilty until proven innocent, that is a crime. So again, why are we looking at all these independent journalists as people that we look at in, in, as in bad faith? Um, you know, a man that has been attacked a lot more than I have, I have to admit, he's been through a lot more than I have, okay? Uh, and a lot of other reporters, you know, for, for, for Laura, she has been more attacked in respects to, uh, her voice being silenced completely. But a man that I admire, believe it or not, is actually right around my state, um, has been reporting on child trafficking for a very, very long time. Um, I, I, it was his research a very, very long time ago, uh, that led me to be able to, uh, understand how to maneuver, uh, these, um, really, um, what would I say? Nefarious, onerous roads and roadblocks by the government to disallow people from actually being able to see what is going on. And for me, that was, uh, you know, a really, uh, big deal because I couldn't seem to figure out how I could in the best way, okay, um, find a way to put all this information together and understand it myself in a logical one would say way to be able to convey it to people. And, and that's what, what was a big problem for me that I, I couldn't do that. And, um, I, this man actually helped, uh, because of the way he maneuvered things. So what we're going to be talking about today, obviously is Ilhan Omar and Jeffrey Epstein, which is very important. But um, I think it's important that we listen to Timothy Holmseth. And if you're not following him, you should. Um, if you're about, if you're all about um, facts and truth, with no, I would say, holdback, he's someone you should be listening to. If you are. You know, a person, a citizen that is concerned about the children and their future, not only in this country, but globally, you should be following him. 
This man has been attacked by by way of fake arrest warrants, and thank God for President Trump, because all of that is being alleviated slowly for him, which is pretty great. Take a listen to what he had to say. Hello, Americans, and welcome to Timothy Charles Homeseth Reports, investigative journalism and reporting for the times we're living in. I'm Timothy Charles Homeseth, and while I once was an award-winning news reporter for mainstream news from the days before the Great Awakening, I became a target of, was kidnapped and imprisoned by, the deep state after I uncovered a worldwide black market baby sales and human trafficking operation being run through the Ukraine embassy in Washington, D.C. I am now the only journalist authorized to report exclusive content for the Pentagon Pedophile Task Force, and there is one person between me and President Donald Trump, and that person meets face-to-face with President Trump and his wife, Melania. Today's intel drop is going to be a recap of a story I exclusively broke on October 14, 2019, which subsequently appeared in a YouTube video that has now exceeded 100,000 views. The information I delivered to the public was regarding a military operation in California where U.S. Marines rescued 2,100 children from their torturous confinement in underground bases and bunkers. Since October, when I released that information to the public, there's been a great deal of online social media bantering regarding the report, much of it due to the fact that I don't provide the actual name of my Pentagon source, which can, in many instances regarding journalism, create doubt regarding the credibility of the story and doubt as to whether the event actually happened because it can't be, if you will, verified. Understandable. So I will explain. Timothy Charles Homeseth reports brings you investigative journalism and reporting for the times we're living in. It has become an absolute and inescapable fact that what we used to call the news has been fully exposed as a well-funded disinformation and propaganda delivery system, diabolically deployed by demonic and evil entities as a weapon against the inhabitants of the world who had become so brainwashed and enslaved They believed and acted upon any message that appeared on the TV screen in their living room. Therefore, news reporting for the times we're living in involves the reporter's ability to report true things that are so unfathomable that the brainwashed masses are not capable of believing those true things. And thus, the reporter must have the ability to report the true and unfathomable while also breaking through the cognitive dissonance of the public enough to activate the viewer's dormant critical thinking skills. The end run around the mass deception of the corporate media began with an operation called Q, which skipped around the Luciferian and satanic information gatekeepers and delivered information directly to the public, who could then use the information to seek out the truth for themselves. That operation is still underway, and anyone who wants to activate their critical thinking skills should begin reviewing Q drops immediately. Now, as far as a living, breathing man 
speaking directly into a camera. For some reason or another, that job was given to me. So I will often be reporting Intel drops that will simply be sourced to my Pentagon people, such as Pentagon 1 or Pentagon 2 or Pentagon 3. Ultimately, those with eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind to think with will not need to know the name of the source. The truthfulness of the report will be received and accepted by the viewer through the Holy Spirit. And that brings me back to the story about the 2,100 children rescued from their confinement underground in California. The rescue operation was executed by U.S. Marines who stormed underground bunkers and bases in California where they rescued some 2,100 children, ages 3 to 17. The mission was conducted at night. There were five different locations. The U.S. military had PG&E shut off the electricity before the mission. The children were found in hell-on-earth conditions. My source, Pentagon One, used movie titles to describe it. Pentagon One referenced the movies It, The Matrix, Back to the Future, and The Wizard of Oz. The children were extracted and triaged. They were sent to hospitals and psychiatric centers. The Marines were extremely emotional about what they found. They blew up and burned the underground facilities so they could not be used again. It is going to be a nightmare trying to locate the parents of these children, Pentagon One said. An update by Pentagon One revealed that approximately 100 of the children are not expected to make it. There were arrests associated with this mission. Now to an aspect of this story that warrants a short silence and a standalone. Pentagon once said they believed most of the children were taken by Child Protective Services, CPS. Our president, Donald J. Trump, and our first lady, Melania Trump, want the world to know that. And now you do. I'm Timothy Charles Homeseth for Timothy Charles Homeseth Reports. You can find more news and information at timothycharlesholmseth.com. Okay, so that's Timothy. He pretty much made it clear to you exactly what real journalism is. He's been on this fight for a very long time. Now, here's uh, something interesting. Um, besides the child and human trafficking, which we all know General Flynn got it himself in a pickle. Because when you're a general... And you see this and you believe because it's always about good faith that the people that are in office are there to protect the people of the United States, that they're there to protect Americans, to protect the vulnerable populations. And you speak out, you then get resigned it because your good faith was your problem. Many good investigative journalists, many good citizens have been a victim of good faith. But that's what separates good people from bad people in the sense of how they operate and how they move. For example, 
I knew that Ilhan Omar's name was not her real name. I knew that her family is not her legit family. Uh, not her kids. We're talking about the family she came over. I knew that she came here as an adult, not as a child, as she claims, because her information has been falsified. I also knew that Qatar was funding her. I also knew that my president knew about that. This is why he tried to facilitate communications between the president of, of Afghanistan and the Taliban. Why? Because the Taliban are a political party in Afghanistan, but they are demanding that their political party have a headquarters in Qatar. And you ask why? Well, because the Taliban are, in fact, the weaponized arm of the Muslim Brotherhood. And how do you find out information? By sitting down and having a conversation to find out true intentions. You meet with someone or you speak with someone on the telephone it's always best in person, though, because your face and your body cannot lie. Hmm. And even though I knew this from factual sources that I could not put out there with their name, Laura Loomer, on the other hand, just has great instinct and great investigative skills. Remember, she broke the Vegas shooting story in her pajamas from her apartment when she lived in New York. She knew more about what happened in the Vegas shooting in her pajamas on the other side, two time zones away from Vegas, right? Then the media that was boots on the ground. That's because some people are just good at getting to the bottom of things. That's because some people still retain their objective perspectives and enter into conversations with good faith. Because when you as a person exercise that imperial rule, I would say, I think it would be an axiom. It should be an axiom on interaction, any interaction. When you enter into a conversation with good faith, even though the other party may indeed be a bad actor, guess what? Because you saw it in good faith, the nefarious, the obfuscation, the deception that is attempted is easily seen. And good faith provides a platform of objectivity. And again, taking it back to the mainstream media, that includes the right-wing media. Their reporting is not done in good faith. Right. It's all about let's do this. Let's get this. Let's do that. Let's ah, get back at them. Mm. You have to be a bit objective, always objective, always keeping a bit, always waiting a bit, being patient. See, everyone across the world has written about Ilhan Omar and Qatar. But you see, Loomer.com nor myself have published anything. Why? Because when it comes out, it has to be more wholesome, more, hey, look at this report. Look at that report. I just retweeted an article from, I think it was like August, which uh, was a recap about, you know, how Turkey was asking people to donate to her campaign. In there, I buried, uh, but I put it in the title, that she met with Iran's president. <laughs> but, you know, whatever, right? See, now it's all coming to the surface, this Muslim Brotherhood, this orchestration and how things are operating. 
you know, that is what we should be expecting from the media. Exactly what Timothy said. You don't want to believe me? That's okay. Do your own homework. Research it yourself. And this is why the Q movement was so effective. Because if you give enough for people to start digging and playing a game, see, we're all curious. So if you have this much, you're like, well, wait a minute. Let me look at this much. The intrigue is what brings out the truth. Questioning. Um, I had a professor, I think I've said this before, that said, question everything. Even if they tell you, that the law says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Question it. Because even though everybody says that's the law of physics, the more you question it, the more it proves itself to be correct or it proves to what is really correct and why it's wrong. Make sense? So for the next, you know, hour and a half of this show, we're going to talk about Epstein and how nobody covered the Senate questioning the, the, the director of the prison bureau and analyze what we know and what we're going to find out about Ilhan Omar because the past proves the future. Oh, and elections. Um, welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I was cut off by my commercial break, but what I wanted to say is we're going to talk about Epstein and the prison, the director of the prison bureau. Um, we're going to be talking about election meddling. And again, this Kentucky election meddling has revealed so much. And um, Millie Weaver has been working really, really hard to put this in video format. Um, I have been working really, really hard on this article that's going to be coming out because what if I told you that the Obama administration, including Barack Hussein Obama, made a ton of money out of the Ukraine? What if I told you that your tax dollars, you know, the ones that they take out of your paycheck, actually funded election software and all this stuff in the Ukraine? You'd be really pissed, wouldn't you? Well, then you're going to be really angry with my report that's coming out just about maybe an hour or two after my show ends. Um, it is pretty big. And watch out. Millie Weaver's coming full speed ahead, uh, tying this all together. Because speaking of software, speaking of connections, speaking of global election fraud you know it's nationwide but it's actually global that we're going to be discussing too and and of course ilhan omar but i want to start with jeffrey epstein you know the topic that nobody talked about not even the right-wing media covered the um senate questioning the prison bureau director on epstein i want you guys to listen uh, and remember in my article that I wrote about, uh, you know, these individuals being arrested, uh, you know, the two prison guards. I told you that there's other people involved. I told you that Ben Sass had invited them to come over on both the articles, the one pre their arrest and one after. It seems like the right wing media doesn't want to talk about it, nor does the left. That tells you everything you need to know. Let me just um, start this uh, clip from Ben Sass quickly. Give me a second. Six when I joined the bureau. Here we go. 
caused as much crisis for public trust for your institution as Epstein's death? I can only speak for the, uh, since 1976 when I joined the Bureau, I don't know prior to that, but I would say it's probably gotten the most public attention. There are lots of taxpayers and citizens who've never thought about the BOP, and you have lots of good, patriotic, hardworking folks there. I get that. Um, but in terms of a crisis of public trust in general, but also in terms of your workforce, this death happened in the middle of August, early August. It's Thanksgiving, and you're here to testify today, and you say you're not allowed to speak about this incident. I think that's crazy. Um, can you distinguish among types of investigations, at least for us? Because I'm aware of at least three Epstein investigations. You've got a whole bunch of women who were raped by this guy. This is a sex trafficking ring in the United States. This guy had evidence. He's got co-conspirators, and there are victims out there who want to know where the evidence has gone. Can you tell us a little bit more about the different investigations? I understand there's at least one that you're directed by Maine Justice not to speak about, but there are at least three investigations. Can you unpack them, please? There are, there are two investigations that are ongoing. One is the FBI's investigation, and the other is the Inspector General's investigation. Both inside BOP, but there's a third one outside, which is why Epstein was in your institution to begin with. Yeah, and that, sir, is completely out of my... I get uh, that. I, I, there's, there's a lot the here where DOJ are... has failed. There's a lot here that BOP has failed. Let's just be clear. So we have a level set for everybody in this room, you're in your job because of this crisis, right? You come here today and you say you can't testify about it, but the reason you're director now is because the last guy got fired, right? Senator, I can't tell you what I don't know. I have received no information from the FBI investigation yet, nor no information from the Inspector General. Once those entities go into one of our facilities, we are forbidden from talking to anybody in the institution. We can send in a team and look at wherever there might have been a security flaw or something, but we are not allowed to talk to anybody uh, in our institutions about anything that happened over the episode. With all due respect, you still have an obligation to speak to the girls who were raped by this guy today. You may not have to speak about every particular of the guards that were arrested last night, but the fact that there is an ongoing attempt by the United States government to find out if there's still any evidence about the co-conspirators, you do have an obligation to speak to those girls who were raped today. You may not speak about the specific of the charges against the specifics of the charges against those two guards this morning who were taken into custody, but more broadly, you should be able to unpack. Have we changed any processes about how cases like this are handled? It's been more than 90 days, and you said, I think your quote was, "We treat every inmate the same." We believe in America that every individual has equal dignity, but not every inmate has equal value for future criminal investigations. Jeffrey Epstein was still to testify in a case. Somebody who's already been convicted who may be on suicide watch, there are lots of good reasons to not want that guy to be able to kill himself. This is different because it isn't just about the individual inmate who might kill themselves. It's about the fact that that bastard wasn't able to testify against his other co-conspirators. So it is wrong as a manager matter for you to say we treat everybody the same we should be treating people who are yet to testify again okay so i don't have much money i am now right now throwing a couple of dollars toward mr sass that was awesome this is exactly what we need in our senate and congress remember that when you drop your votes in 2020 against other felons against other rapists they have a lot more priority for your institution don't they Senator, all of our, pretty much all of our inmates that are in any of our jail, jail facilities are pretrial. They're, they're still yet to testify, to be involved, to share information on other cases. Uh, I don't know what evidence you're asking of me. If you're saying was there any evidence in his room, in his possession at the time, no, that was all brain. confiscated by the FBI. In his brain. 
and in the cameras and in the tapes that the American public well understands appear to not be urgent enough for the Department of Justice. No, it's very urgent for the Department of Justice, and it's all been confiscated by the FBI, and it's all part of their investigation. That's why none of that is shared with the director of the Bureau of Prisons or anyone in the Bureau until the investigations are completed. Once those are completed, I'd be very happy to come up here and talk with any one of you that want to hear everything about we glean from those investigations. But until I have that information, there's nothing I can tell you. If I don't have the information, I cannot share anything with you. Then, then how widespread is the problem of sleeping on the job? There there are lots of people in the public who think this seems a very convenient excuse. And so tell us, is it a systemic problem? Do we have a lot of people who sleep on the job when they're supposed to be guarding federal inmates? We have a few, sir. And we, we, we have been monitoring the cameras that are existing in every one of our institutions to determine how well and how effectively our inmates are, I mean, our staff members are doing their rounds and counts in the institutions. We have found a couple of other instances, and we have immediately referred those to the Inspector General's office. And I'm encouraging that if people just chose not to do their job. We're hoping the U.S. Attorney's Office will pick up those cases and prosecute them for us because we don't want those people in the Bureau of Prisons. They are dangerous to everybody, the inmates and the staff. And so we are uh, zealously going about trying to determine which of our employees are good employees and who do their job. And that is the vast majority of the uh, prison staff. But we do have some I know out there who obviously choose not to follow policy, choose not to do their job, and we want them gone. I do not want them in our institutions, and I am exploring those very, very carefully to identify them and get them out of our system. Now, if it's a training problem and they didn't know what they were supposed to do, that's our problem. That's management's problem. We have to do a better job training our staff. But if someone is well-trained, well-experienced, and chooses not to do their job, we want them gone. I now, before I play more clips, um, even with Lindsey Graham asking questions, I want to just tell you something about the employees of the Bureau of Prisons, uh, for the Bureau of Prisons in specifically New York. In fact, in New York, uh, people that are part, are employees of the Manhattan Correctional Center belong to a union, of course, right? And this is why there was a delay, because the union was protecting every single employee. And in the article that I wrote on ToriSays.com, Epstein Correctional Guards to be Charged Next Week, I published that over a week ago. That was before they were charged. Um, I said that they were offered a plea deal, and you only get a plea deal when you're going to be, um, you know, uh, <laughs> charged with a crime. And in there, I put the letter from um, Senator Ben Sass that we just heard grill uh, the director of the um, Bureau of Prisons. But in that article, I introduce you to a man that a lot of people don't know. He is the dawn of America. <laughs> I say the dawn. He is the um, head and president, the national president of the American Federation of Government Employees. And obviously, his jurisdiction is that in New York. And that, that covers the employees of the Manhattan Correctional uh, Center where Epstein was murdered. His name is Jeffrey David Cox, Sr., and I have a really nice picture of him posing with Hillary Clinton. He's donated tons of cash to her. And he employs all prison guards and correctional officers and other staff, you know, what would you call appendage staff, to like Rikers, Manhattan Correctional, you know, Southern District of New York, jail holding cells, you name it, he runs it. And here's the thing. 
I didn't hear her mention him. Because for some reason, under the Trump administration, all these other chapters across the nation and their presidents have been caught with their hands in the cookie jar. Specifically, one that is in um, South Carolina uh, was um, found guilty. Um, Fort Bragg was actually infiltrated with employees. I actually got an administrative assistant um, at Fort Bragg, who is a government employee, to talk about John Sammons, the former president of the, you know, American Federation of Government Employees chapter um, down there. And, and, and I was told by this um, admin, these union guys are like milk and honey when it comes to commanders of the bases, wardens of federal prisons and other agencies that they staff with civilians. They are their non-federal employee HR people skipping all protocol like background checks, overtime, etc. This is the only time you see a private company act like a government entity and that's concerning. Okay, I want to make it clear where the problem is. Like everyone's like, who hired this chick that didn't check at all? I'm going to tell you. Do you know when he was murdered? I'm going to tell you. You want to hear when he was murdered? (laughs) It was when he was ushered back to his cell after meeting with his lawyer, because the only consistency is that we have this one female guard throughout all of them. And she is the reason nobody checked. Not the other guys. She's the reason that nobody checked. Teba, the chick, the woman. Who appointed her? Who put her there when she's not a correctional officer? That's the guy, Cox. The guy that was acting like he was a federal employee. The guy that appointed who's going to be there and how they're going to be there. Because, you know, his cameras in his room stopped working just before they walked him back to a cell after meeting his lawyer. And nobody checked on him till the morning. So if he was actually murdered, right? Because maybe in this case, it's a good bait and switch. But if he was murdered, that's when it happened. Because nobody checked on anybody. Even when it was locked down, don't you go check to see that every prisoner is in their cell? Just to see? Because... Gates are shut and locked. Are they inside or are they still roaming outside? Did some other dude hang out in some other dude's cell and they're like locked in together? Like what's going on? You know what I'm saying? They didn't even check at nighttime when the doors were locked. That tells you everything you need to know. Now let's, let's listen to Graham. Take a listen. Concur with the, the opinion that it was a suicide? That was the finding of the coroner, sir. Okay. Do you have any evidence suggest otherwise? I do not. How could this have happened? Unfortunately, sir, this thing is this uh, the death and the whole situation is still under the investigation of the FBI and the Inspector General's office, and I'm really not at liberty to discuss uh, specifics of this case. I can discuss issues around uh, institutional operations, but I can't specifically talk about that particular in- issue. Okay. Uh, with a case this high profile. There's got to be either major malfunction of the system or a criminal enterprise at foot to allow this to happen. So are you looking at both? Is the FBI looking at both? If the FBI is involved, then they are looking at criminal enterprise, yes. Do we have people in 
in custody today of this high-profile nature? Have we done anything to adjust since Mr. Epstein's death? Sir, we take every inmate's life very seriously in the Bureau of Prisons. Uh, a high-profile inmate is no more important or significant in terms of our operations than just the average inmate that comes well, our what way. What do you mean high-profile? Somebody's on a suicide watch. I would like to explain our suicide watch system, if I may. I can't talk specifically about Epstein, but we have different tiers of response if we identify an inmate who appears to be uh, having suicidal thinking. And I came into the Bureau as a psychologist. I worked with lots of suicidal inmates. I was warden in our psychiatric facility in Butner, and I know how difficult it is to always be able to predict who is suicidal and who is not. But once an inmate is identified as potentially suicidal, we have a suicide watch operation that we can place them in. It's a very stark, very difficult setting where everything is stripped from the room except a mattress. They get a coarse gown like to wear that cannot be twisted in any way that they could hang themselves from it. They have one mattress and one blanket, and they are watched constantly. There's nothing else in that room. Mr. Epstein on suicide watch? Yes, he watched. However, the average time on suicide watch is only about 24 hours because it is such a stark and actually depressing situation. We then can move them to another tier of observation, which is called psychological observation. Did that happen in this case? I can't speak specifically, but I am sharing this with you so that you understand our procedure, sir. Um, they then can move to another uh, tier, which is suicide, uh, psychological observation, where they get their clothes back. They're in a more normalized setting. They are watched and scrutinized every moment of the day. But that is a much more normal environment. Do they that have is far roommates? And once, and, I'm sorry, sir? Do they have roommates? No, they do not when they're on psychological observation because they're being watched continuously. Did Mr. Epstein have a roommate when he allegedly committed suicide? No, he did not. Uh-oh. Stop right there. Stop the press. Oh, well. So she says, if you're on um, suicide watch, it's usually for 24 hours. Then you go to the next tier. And at the next tier, hold on, listen to this. You get psychological observation where they still watch you, but you have your clothes back. Graham just asked, did Epstein have a roommate when he committed suicide? She said, no, he did not. Actually, actually... The indictment stated that he had a roommate up until the morning before the evening of his death. And that his roommate was moved in a, air quote, scheduled transfer. Hmm. So, you know, she can always say, oh, yeah, well, he had a roommate before he died, like within the 24 hours, but not when he died. They move into psychological observation. Psychologists see them routinely, interview them repeatedly, and once it's determined that the um, the uh, threat of suicide seems to have passed, then that inmate can be returned back to open population. Well, clearly it didn't work here, so we we await the report because all the victims of Mr. Epstein have to have their heart ripped out. They'll never see justice. Uh, uh, Dr. Sawyer, can you think of any other uh, incidents in the history of the BOP that have um, caused as much crisis for public trust for your institution as Epstein's death? I can only speak for the uh, – since 1976 when I joined the Bureau, I don't know prior to that, but I would say it's probably gotten the most public attention. There are lots of taxpayers and citizens who've never thought about the BOP, and you have lots of good, patriotic, hardworking folks there. I get that. Um, but in terms of a crisis of public trust in general, but also in terms of your workforce, this death happened in the middle of August, early August. It's Thanksgiving, and you're here to testify today, and you say you're not allowed to speak about this incident. I and you know what? And she also lied. We just heard her lie. 
you guys. We heard her lie. We have the indictment for those two individuals. It clearly says that Epstein's roommate was transferred with a pre-scheduled transfer that morning. We heard it. She lied. Mm. Now, let me continue. Like to understand where technology dollars are going. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Thank you, Senator. Uh, Senator Bloomfeld's next, but just follow up on this. Uh, will there be an IG report regarding what happened? There should be. Usually after the Inspector General's office investigates, they do come out with a report. If people are pending criminal charges, we're not going to interfere in their cases. But if there's an IG report, I promise you we'll uh, get fully briefed by the committee here. How can I put this? Christmas ornaments, drywall, and Jerry Epstein. Name three things that don't hang themselves. It, that's what the American people think. That's what the American people think. And they deserve some answers. And I know that you're not in charge of these investigations. Yes, sir. But you talk to the people who are. And, and I need you to take a very respectful message today. Um, tell the American people what happened. And, and don't, don't rush it so that they don't do a thorough investigation. But you and I both know they can make this a, a top priority and get it done more quickly than they normally would. Thanks so much for being here. And, and thank you for your willingness to serve in a part of government that's not easy, uh, in a part of government that's so essential uh, uh, for the safety of our country. Um, this is often a thankless task. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk to you in a uh, moment about the First Step Act and about its implementation, about what we can do to make sure that it's helping to make Americans safe. Um, I want to talk for a moment, though, about the Jeffrey Epstein case. Uh, there are a lot of indications there are a lot of people who have expressed concern, concerns culminating in the phrase, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Um, it was initially reported that he had died by suicide, but according to a whole lot of news reports, a private psychologist, uh, I'm sorry, a, a private pathologist who took a look at the case um, said that Mr. Epstein experienced a number of injuries that are, uh, as he put it, quote, extremely unusual in suicidal hangings and could occur much more commonly in homicidal strangulation. Are you familiar with that statement? I have seen that in the media, yes. According to news reports, security cameras that were in the hallway uh, watching Mr. Epstein's cell uh, just happened to malfunction the night uh, that his life ended. Uh, can you tell me how, how frequently do prison guards, uh, uh, do, do prison guarding security cameras malfunction like this, and, and what are the protocols to check on them and to make sure that that doesn't happen? Senator, we, have, we are very behind in terms of um, monies for uh, improvements throughout our institutions. You know, as I mentioned earlier in my opening statements, our institutions are very old and, and a lot of the systems are faulty. Just in the last year, we were able to come up with enough money to redo all the camera systems in all of our institutions. It's not completed quite yet, but we did get the funding to replace all of our camera systems. We upgraded them from uh, analog to digital, and we have a lot more cameras now in the institutions than there used to be because we used to have a lot of blind spots, but we just didn't have adequate 
adequate cameras. Uh, MCC New York is one of those. It is, has, is on the, it, it is like partway through its whole camera, uh, reinstallation. And so by this time next year, we should have all of our institutions should be completely upgraded in terms of cameras. No, no. Why don't you just put body cameras in the meantime? Make each correctional officer wear a body camera and have that record. Anybody going through anything will be caught on camera until you upgrade your cameras. They can't. This is rubbish. I am so upset. And this is why we need to drain the swamp. We need to get rid of them. This D.C. mafia, they're a global cabal, you guys. And today, as we're discussing the Ilhan Omar and the cover-up and how nobody wants to talk about it and how, 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 we're going to roll into this huge debacle with Barack Hussein Obama and what he's been doing. Because the excuses that they're giving us as to how this pedophile got away with things is rubbish, complete rubbish. What people need to understand is, is that the mainstream media is the enemy of the people. We are in charge. The more you understand that we are the news, that facts matter, you're the news now. You decide what the news is. It doesn't mean that you have to content create, but you put out there what you believe is news, not them. Don't listen to the left or the right. Listen to you. Listen to your objectivity. Look at everything in good faith. I mean, how can you look at NBC, ABC in good faith, right? You know, I've said this for, you know, those of you that have been with me for over a year uh, or less than a year, I've been telling you how movies and TV shows tell you everything you need to know sometimes. They sometimes can provide you the foundation of what you need to understand what is going on in your world. And that's because even uh, movie producers get inspiration from facts that they know they can't say, but sometimes it's best to put out as fiction. It's really important for you to remember that. I'll see you all in just a bit. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Sess Show. I'm your host, Tory. So this is the second hour, and what I want us to do is kind of uh, listen to what El- Kelly Ann Conway had to say uh, live on Fox and Friends in regards to this impeachment push um, and how it's Adam Schiff's ego trip. Out, Pelosi is signaling, according to the Hill, that this deal is within range. Close quote of a deal with the White House. Uh, what they need is, says, we're within range, substantially improved agreement, she says. Now we need to see our progress in writing that we and um, he and Ro- she and Robert Lighthizer discussed. And as you know, Steve is uh, doubtful, but I say, with the legislative days left between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I say it goes up for a vote and gets done. Before the end of the year. I, I think that's very optimistic. It would be great for the United States. Ultimately, I think uh, she will not do it before the end of the year because it would be giving the president a win 
at the same time that she's trying to impeach him. But if you want to win, don't you want to win when no one's looking? And people are so <laughs> focused on the Cracker Barrel and Christmas, right. they're not going to be saying, hey, what, did USMCA pass? Who deserves credit for that? So that's my hope. Uh, the, the other thing uh, to keep in mind, too, is that so she's going to provide some color. She is getting wired up on the north lawn of the White House right now. Excellent. And keep in mind, we just had that she's development that the... That Lighthizer came to with China, that's a step forward. So even while there are. Well, it's are not done yet, but it's right, optimistic. Right, a step forward. And so even while the Democrats are kind of um, preventing uh, development on the left, we right. have developments in the right. And, and speaking of uh, the Democrats, uh, Politico had an item, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that talked about how vulnerable. Vulnerable Democrats in, you know what, let's bring in Kellyanne Conway right now. She's all wired up. She's in the press briefing room. Hey, Kellyanne, uh, let's talk to you a little bit. I'm sure you saw that Politico item a couple of days ago that talked about how vulnerable Democrats are watching in horror because a Republican-aligned group is running these TV ads in their home districts, and it's really impacting the public perception on what's going on regarding the impeachment. And the Democrats are going, hey, Nancy Pelosi and company, you know, somebody's got to have our back right now because we're being left out to dry. Increasingly, that is what's happening, and that will continue to happen, I predict, as they are home for the Thanksgiving holiday, and their constituents very logically ask them, what have you done for me lately? And if the answer is, I'm busy impeaching the president, they'll recognize that as Adam Schiff's ego trip and not a serious exercise. Uh, look at the, what happened overnight. You have Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence in a heavily Democratic district that yep. Hillary Clinton carried with over 60% of the vote in 2018, saying changing her mind from October 4th and saying, I'm not there for impeachment. I think maybe I'll go for censure, but I'm not there for impeachment. Yesterday, a freshman congresswoman from Iowa said the same thing. She was asked, what are you doing there? Why are you doing this? This is before the articles are even drafted, but this is after two weeks and 12 witnesses and 30 hours of testimony and a big nothing. The American people know they see the split screen. Impeachment over here and what's important to them over there. And you know what's important to them? The president meeting, receiving a foreign leader yesterday, uh, applauding Conan the dog that was there when al-Baghdadi, the world's most wanted terrorist, was taken out and detonating his suicide vest to kill his mm -hmm. own children, this animal. And yet the media was criticizing the way the president received Conan the dog, much the way they criticized the way he took out al-Baghdadi and what he had to say afterwards. But you know what people see? They see a president who stands up for America and American national security. Yesterday in the Oval Office, the president signed two uh, a piece of legislation and one is the centennial coin to commemorate the 100 year anniversary of women's suffrage the, the right to vote which will carry the celebrations will carry into next year and then he turned around and signed into law the prevent animal cruelty act uh, no president had ever done this it's Do it's it's president donald j trump who now makes it a felony to torture or called crush or kill an animal um, for no good reason. Today, he will sign an executive order on missing and murdered indigenous women. We have over 5,000 Native American women and Alaska Native women who are missing or murdered. Uh, the crime rate there, the trafficking rate there, the drug rate there is so significant, and this president is taking action. So people see the split screen. The, the stock market mm -hmm. hit another all-time high yep. yesterday. So this is why the Democrats, and not just the ones beginning with, but not just the ones any longer, in the 31 districts that Trump-Pence carried in 2016 and that Democrats won in 2018, it's actually Kelly. metastasized beyond that. 
Kellyanne, uh, I was just saying uh, the Hill has this story today that uh, Nancy Pelosi said the USMCA is within range of a deal. What they need oh, okay. is Robert Lighthizer to put down in writing what they talked about a couple of days ago. What do you hear? What could, could you shed some light on that? And do you think there's enough legislative days if, if Nancy Pelosi wanted to to put that on the board? Well, Nancy Pelosi is under enormous pressure to make good on her stated promise that they were going to get a vote on USMCA by, quote, the, the end of October. Right. Last I checked the calendar, November 26th, we're at the end of November. <laughs> but the intervening superseding circumstance has been this impeachment yes. ego trip for Democrats who are in safe districts like Hart and Schiff. And, and so she should do this. The USMCA would be great for farmers, great for auto manufacturers, great for auto buyers, great for auto workers. It's great for the American economy. And just yesterday, Mexico, again, was urging Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House here, to put it to a vote. How embarrassing is it to America that Mexico and Canada long ago approved the USMCA deal for this continent, for this hemisphere, and they're waiting on the U.S. Congress, and they turn on the TV or they flip on the Internet and they say, this is way you're spending your time. So I think Pelosi is under enormous pressure to have some wins wins other than trying to impeach the president or having a resolution to condemn a tweet. This is basically what they've done this entire calendar year. We're on the one year anniversary of her becoming speaker and she and the squad have squad to show for it. So she's under enormous pressure to pass USMCA. The president is ready, pen in hand. Ambassador Lighthizer was here at the White so House yesterday. He works every day on this. I think she's going to be under pressure to do it. And the president is ready to Good. sign that into law. He's been ready for over a year. Excellent. And in addition to USMCA, infrastructure, drug pricing, mm -hmm. the drug crisis, the, the first lady will be in Baltimore this morning speaking to a very large group of youth about drug-free life. We just continue to push forward. You had Chad Wolf, the acting DHS secretary, on earlier. We're pushing forward on all of the promises the president made. Well, could you tell us about the first phase of the China deal that China is suddenly making positive statements about? Yes. And are are you guys ready to say yes to their invitation to send your delegation, Mnuchin and Lighthizer, over to Beijing? Do you know how close that yes is? Well, Mnuchin, Lighthizer, others have been over to China many times. We've received the Chinese here many times. We continue to negotiate. But those forced technology transfers, the theft of intellectual property, the trade imbalance of a half a trillion dollars a year with the world's second largest economy, China, this makes no sense to people. So the president wants a deal, but President Trump always waits for the best deal. He could have had a deal last May. He left it on the table because he felt the Chinese changed right. the terms last moment. But we're getting really close, and that first phase is significant. But the president wants to do this in phases, in, in, in interim sure. pieces, because it's such a large historic trade deal. But look what's already happened with Korea, through course, what's already happened with Japan, and what's happened with China. China is buying chicken. China uh, long ago agreed to start buying our beef and our pork. So all of that continues. But we feel that that deal is going to happen, and we continue to work arduously toward that. Kellyanne, we have a question about the events that unfolded yesterday. Former Navy Secretary Richard Spencer said the president does not understand the full definition of a warfighter. Let's listen. What message does that send to the troops? Well, what message does it send? That you can get away with things. We have to have good order and discipline. It's the backbone of what we do. I don't think he really understands the full definition of a warfighter. A warfighter is a profession of arms. And a profession of arms has standards that they have to be held to and they hold themselves to. Uh-uh. That's not the way it is, though. Like I said, that is not the way it is. See, here, here, okay. 
something about Richard Spencer you guys need to understand is, is that he was a Marine. He was a, pi- a fighter pilot, right? And then he got discharged. And for the past 25 years, he's been working on Wall Street. When he was a soldier, it was way different than being a soldier today. The wars that were fought were all staged. It was kind of like, here's our flag. We're walking in and we're going head first. Now they're tactics. Now they're sneaky. Now they're more vicious because the enemy is a lot more sneakier, a lot more tactful and has the same things you do. These terrorists don't have, um, uh, sticks and stones. They use cyber warfare. They use drones. They use children as pawns. And again, I am not by any means or any form saying that all these soldiers posing with the dead body of the jihadi is good. Never would I do that. And I have shaken my head and scolded people who have celebrated doing really, really bad things to really bad people. And I am one to say that no matter what someone has done, that does not give you the right to violate any of their innate human rights. Because even though they are evil, even though they have done wrong, maybe they have raped kids. Maybe they have killed kids. Maybe they just have killed anybody. Maybe they have tortured an animal. Anything that you find appalling and you'd be like, hang up. You should never do that because deep down there, there's that good side of them always. And deep down there facing their own crimes and realizing their own crimes in solitude is the best hell for them. Because many people think, what is hell? Is it all fires? Are we in a fire pit? Are there demons, ugly demons, you know, um, messing with us all the time? Are we spitting out worms from our mouth daily? It's our own prison. That is what hell is. Hell is what PTSD is, where you relive a moment of fear or terror, or you relive an act that you've done that you regret, but can't seem to get over. That's hell. Hell is what you make of it. Your own hell is you facing yourself, looking in that mirror and saying, damn it, what did you do? And punishing yourself by reliving those moments. Do you think that every one of those soldiers that posed in that picture can sleep at night? Tell you what, I can't go to a chiropractor being dead honest and have them snap my neck without getting sick. Like the first thing I'll say is if you need to align me by the neck, don't let me know you're going to do it. Just, you know, I'll be relaxed or whatever, but don't tell me. And they can only do it one way. They can't do it the other way. Cause in my life I have seen so many snap necks. I can't. The thought of it makes me very uncomfortable. I see my kids, my friends, my husband snap their necks and I hear it. I, you know, it's almost like, you know, I have urinary incontinence. I'll pee myself right there. It scares me. It terrifies me. And you know, I, it's not because of the action, knowing that a life was taken away with that sound or anything like that. Right. It's like, because I witnessed this and I couldn't do anything about it. And I think that's what tortures each and every one of us. 
How many of us have, you know, been in our car and we see a stray dog and you're like, damn it, really want to take that dog home. I want to give it some food. I want to pet it. I want it to know that it's loved, that it's done nothing wrong, that it's an innocent little, you know, dog and it needs help. But then you're like, dude, I can't. Like my landlord won't let me have a dog. I have two dogs. I can't afford the food. It needs health insurance. What if it's sick? What if the vet bill? And you drive on by. But then for days... You're thinking, oh, I wonder if that dog survived. I think it was limping. Oh, poor thing. I'm just giving an example. This is something that plagues us. That is what hell is. And again, one person that may be behind you in the car may hold you to the standard that you're holding, you know, Gallagher to. How dare you? Where is your morality with that poor little dog on the side of the road limping? I took it in. I made myself uncomfortable. I did it. You're a loser because your moral compass isn't like mine. Do you see where I'm getting with it? You don't know how they felt at that moment. I'm pretty sure all of them after seeing the photo were like, "Ugh." and trust me, that photo is nothing compared to what some of them have done. So, Not them in the picture in general. In a time of war, there are really no rules. And our most special forces are trained to be ruthless and go for the target. This is why I say Bolton is someone that instills fear in me. Because people that do not objectively go down the course to succeed their goal taking into account everything that passes them on their peripheral, for me, it's scary because it means that they are able to shift their moral compass according to their mission. For me, my moral compass maintained and all I did was suffer in silence. I'm sure there's many out there. Again, you don't know what he was at, Secretary of the Navy. How dare you say the president doesn't understand what he did indicates just how well he understands. You can't compare, you know, single dad or happily white picket fence dad shopping at Whole Foods or you who's made millions on Wall Street after you got out of the military and have your own private equity fund. You know, um, you can't compare yourself with them. You can't compare when you served to when they served and what they were fighting and what you were fighting. You cannot compare. You cannot compare unless you walk in that man's shoes. And even though I have friends, well, old friends, that I saw conduct themselves in certain ways, and they were non-uniformed, non-uniformed. You know, I couldn't relate to it execution of, you know, duties the way it was done. This is why, you know, my superiors didn't like me because I would say, I'm just letting you know for the record. And I'd make sure they know for the record, I don't approve of this, but these are the orders. So they're going to be done. But I don't approve because you can do this, this, this instead, that it has more integrity, that is better, and it has less casualty. Mm. And it doesn't make us look bad if you get caught, boss. They didn't like that because their objective was you just need to do your job. Don't ask and don't, and don't suggest alternatives. 
And this is the problem that people don't understand, that when you have uniformed individuals taking orders from non-uniformed or non-uniformed individuals taking orders from uniformed individuals, which work together in war. This is where moral compasses get skewed. And this is where your psychological situation and your desensitization is heightened. This man served. He deserves that trident. Regardless of what his soul went through. I'm just going to say that. I, I can't stress that enough. There he was talking about the Eddie Gallagher case. Uh, you know, the president said, essentially, uh, this guy's going to end up with his retirement via SEALs. And uh, Mr. Spencer said, okay, apparently he was dealing with the White House uh, lawyer. And he said, let's do this. We don't have to tell anybody, but we'll have a, a secret back channel way where he will get his retirement, but we will also have a review board. Ultimately, the president uh, fired him before he could resign. Well, and, and Secretary of Defense Mark Esper also, he fired yeah. saying, excuse me, you can't try to make back deals and side deals on matters such as this. So I'm sure it hurts. Um, to lose your position, but the president stands by his decision, and he was there. He didn't do this impulsively or after a full review, and I think that Mr. Gallagher has been on TV many times, as has his wife, I believe. They've stated their case, but the president stands by his decision. The president also, just this morning, retweeted tweeted something that I think America sees uh, full on, which is he will always stand behind our great war fighters. What this president has done for the military and for veterans is truly unprecedented. It's part of why he ran in the first place. He would tell us on the campaign trail, and certainly when we got here to the White House, uh, lady and gentlemen, that he can't believe veterans were literally dying, waiting for care yeah. in Arizona now over five years. And look at all he's done with the VA Mission or Choice Act. You can 2.2 million veterans since June 4th have accessed private care through the VA Choice Act. We're told by the Secretary of the VA, Robert Wilkie. We've got the 24/7 VA hotline. So, guys, uh, let's let's see what Kellyanne told us today, okay? And this will lead us into what we're going to be discussing. So she, um, aside from the Secretary of the Navy, which is like you can't go, um, you know, behind anyone's back, it's the USMCA. I just want to make a mention. The USMCA is critical for our farmers and our industry. And this has been agreed on by, uh, you know, the, um, oh gosh, I can't even speak, by the um, Mexican government and our government, and we're waiting on Congress to pass it. They're trying to find a way to put slip some stuff in, kind of like those sunset clauses. Um, but they're also holding it hostage. On that note, I want you to say that the U.S. is thinking of designating cartels as a terrorist organization. And what was mind-boggling, you guys, is that the president of Mexico, AMLO, said, we will not acknowledge our cartels as terrorists. And it's like, all right, well, hold on a second, man. Like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're having a problem with cartels. They're like co-running your government. We're telling you we're going to designate them as terrorists so we could come in and help. And you can get funding to help globally so that we can purge this. But then you're telling your people, yeah, so we don't want to consider them terrorists. Excuse me? What? Right. So this is the hypocrisy that people need to understand and see.
Cartels, mafia members, cliques, they're all in on it together. They're friends, BFFs forever, because they're working together in concert to accomplish their goal. And today's article not only will show you that the media has been lying to you. I caught factcheck.org flat out lie. And so for all these people, you know, Snopes, we know, was going broke because they couldn't get money from the Clinton Foundation anymore. And then we know that all these fact check, fact check. Oh, this is an org. This is like legit. Well, I in that article, I showcase one just to show you how the mainstream media, which we've already seen, they bury stories. They lie. Jake Tapper yesterday clearly said that the president on the phone call with the Ukrainian president said the word Biden. When he didn't, they lie, lie, lie again. And they're so, so obsessed to crush voices like yours, voices like mine. Q, obsession. Daily Beast, you're going down. And they're the ones that are the most upset. See, trying to figure out who they are is the big secret. And that's their problem. That it could be hiding in plain sight. The team that is causing them so much pain, plain sight, and they don't even know. And that's what's awesome. That's where, you know, real patriots that have put, you know, efforts together just sit back. And it's that meme with the popcorn where it's like, yep, with that sly smile, definitely. And the thing is, now that they've been caught with their own actions and words, how do they get out of it? And here's where you're going to see... In this, how your tax dollars, um, so it's like 60, 68 billion in total, 68 billion in total. Again, boy, billion in total over the course of 10 years have been, well, it's 2005 that it started. So that would be, yeah, over 10 years. So it's like 12, uh, 11 years. Okay. Let's be fair. Like, yeah. Over the course of 11 years have been funding other nations and not so much just funding them, but actually we were manipulating them and it wasn't so much, Oh, we're just um, ensuring the democratic process. No. We sent bullies there. We sided with oligarchs. We sided with other mobsters to strong arm countries to, to, to kneel down to the globalist agenda. This is where Vladimir Putin is actually looking like a good guy, even though he is a bad guy because he doesn't trust anybody. Okay. And I don't blame him, you guys. Like what you're going to hear from me. In this next half hour, you'll totally be like, oh, man, Putin's just looking out for Russia first. No wonder they hate Trump. And they're saying, oh, America first is so racist. Yeah, totally makes sense. Don't get me wrong. Russia is a big threat because they've been on their own fighting this globalist cabal. And I'll demonstrate that. And while we have Russia to worry about, we also have the Muslim Brotherhood to worry about, don't we, guys? We have them installing people across our nation. And then we have individuals like Cargrill telling us that refugee resettlement is important because 
It's good for the economy because we bring them in, we give them a job at a meatpacking plant, and that's it. We'll talk about that right before we get into the whole Ukraine thing. Because like I said, this article is going to drop after the show. Um, and it's, I'm keeping it as concise as possible. But you know, the big boom is through Millie Weaver's video. Because all of this came out of the election fraud. While the government's looking at it from another angle, we saw it from the election fraud angle. So imagine how many access points we have to uncover this corruption. I'll see you all in just a bit. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, let's let's begin with Ilhan Omar just a little bit. Okay. So Ilhan Omar, as I told you, was not who she says she is. That came out later because somebody else decided to write it. And apparently they're a lot more credible than Laura Loomer or myself. Uh, the relentless FOIA requests, demands to ICE, DHS that I've had are sagging up. I mean, I even got a letter. I kid you not, you guys. I kid you not. I got a letter in response to one of my FOIA requests from the CIA. And let me tell you something. I kid you not. Like, I think I took a picture of it. You know how in the olden times, people use printers to print out labels? <laughs> All right. So there was like a printout label as a return address that said Central Intelligence <laughs> Agency. And I'm thinking, damn, my mailman must be like, who is this chick getting stuff from the DOJ all the time? But now it's like a sticker that says CIA. It looks so ridiculous. It looked fake, but it was actually legit. Right? Maybe they did it <laughs> to make it look non-legit. I was just like, whatever. So I've been on top of this. And I've told you that this affair is not real. That guy's her handler. I also told you that her husband's divorce from her was to save himself and the children. Um, because whatever he learned during the marriage, he can't testify to. But whatever was done before or after, he can. And so it was important that he divorce her. And this is why it happened. Regardless of what the left and the right media are telling you, oh, she's having an affair. Oh, that's just a lie. This guy is her Valerie Jarrett. Valerie Jarrett was Obama's handler from the minute he was born in Morocco. It was like a match made in heaven where her parents was like, that's who you're going to look after at some point. That's why she lived with the Obamas and still does because everybody needs their handler. Why can't I remember her name? Okay, somebody who's listening is on Twitter. Brothers, uh, who's the guy that does like Capital One commercials for the credit card? Um, the actor, um, that has a brother that's also an actor. Oh my gosh, who's married to Justin Bieber right now? She's his handler. I keep forgetting that last name. Why is that? Oh my gosh. It's like, I don't even remember the last name. So if anybody remembers that, um, just DM it to me uh, because that's important. This is how you see handlers. Uh, these are handlers. And that is exactly what her boyfriend, campaign guy, who actually is married to someone that's already on Social Security, even though he's 38, right? that is a doctor 
And he's from New Jersey and has some sealed, civil, insane case. He was linked to some other people in New Jersey. Like, I got all of that. All of it. I can't even get my hands on this suit to find out what happened. But for some reason, he turned into a handler and was married off to this doctor that was a spinster. So it's like, this is how you find the handlers these weird relationships like this guy's married to someone who's already on you know she's already retired uh, <laughs> that he didn't know she was a doctor in new jersey and pennsylvania he's 38 suddenly ilhan omar the strict you know jihadi who who went into Congress and defied the laws of wearing head coverings in the house because her God comes first, suddenly is having sex with a white man. Are you guys really believing that? Come on, man. You're not stupid. And even though people are publishing art, I've never written, oh, yeah, her boyfriend, never myself. I would never just do it to report what's going on ever. Because that's not her boyfriend. She's not having sex with him. That's her handler. Now it's all coming out because if you actually look into her handler and I'm pretty sure the Department of Homeland Security has, they'll see that before Ilhan Omar, and this is breaking by the way, and yeah, I can only say sources say, uh, Ilhan Omar's handler, before he started working with her and created this fake company, was in Turkey. <laughs> So interesting, isn't it? Isn't it interesting how I told you that when she met with Erdogan, she also met with the president of Iran? Interesting. And we also told you that she was being paid by Qatar. Kind of like, you know, Qatar. I want you guys to go revisit on Loomer.com an article that I wrote about the Twitter employees that were arrested. In there, I buried some really important information. Just kind of like... As you're reading it, you're like, wait a minute, where does that stick? The guy, the American citizen that, well, no, he was a Saudi, um, Saudi student in America, half of, you know, like a, a Saudi American, right? Both citizenships that was in Washington. The guy that was actually arrested because the other two were at large. That's being purported as a Saudi spy. It was actually a Qatari spy spying on the Saudis because they don't like each other. I'm just saying. So I kind of buried it in there because Qatar actually stole some really important um, algorithms and software from Jack Dorsey while he was there. And I put it in there for you to see it. It's called Circle. C-Y-R-C-L. And that's a Qatari product, by the way. So, um, and that's the same as Square. Very inventive on the name, right? Circle, Square, whatever. So what you need to understand is that there are other powers out there. And it is being realized by the nefarious side of the world because there's two faces. Those satanic, reptilian, nasty, non-inhumane, sorry, inhumane group of people whose plan was to enslave every man woman and child on this planet have decided that the only way that they can have Americans bend the knee is through terror. And thus they've weaponized individuals in the name of their God 
to infiltrate and make you submissive. You must submit to their God or die. You know, fear and the prospect of death is a very huge motivator, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. You have a gun to your face. They're like, give me your ice cream cone. You're like, here, have it. Have a gun to your face. I'll kill your kids and you if you don't submit to Allah. Be like, how many times a day do you want me to pray? I'll do it. And then after you're just doing it to stay alive, you suddenly make it part of your life. Repetition does do it. See, this is the plan. Weaponization. And so you'll say, well, Tori, okay, that's one, that, that's understandable. We're seeing the way it's being spread. We're seeing the way they're putting it across. Yes, you are. And you can hear how the so-called capitalists, because I was really upset to hear this. First of all, the way it was spoken about these refugees. So keep in mind, I approve of refugees. I do. Bonafide refugees. Like the refugees that were coming from Venezuela. Like the refugees that are the Christians being slaughtered in the Middle East. I am all for refugees because our nation was built to be the hope and the beacon of hope for people in other nations across this planet that are seeking to better themselves. But I want you to hear the vice president of corporate affairs for Cargill. Jock Sharfin, um, you need to listen to what he says to understand and, and, and see the giggles too that come with it. I was really upset, but I was really proud at the way Kevin Kramer kind of kept his demeanor throughout the talk because even though what he spoke of was business, I could see in his body language that he was very uncomfortable. I want you to take a listen to this. I, I think you were asking how do we compete with uh, China. I'm going to take care of that very quickly. First of all, you have to show up. It's not a competition if you're not there. So you've got to show up. Uh, uh, I agree with that. <laughs> but what I wanted to say, ma'am, was uh, to talk about the refugee program because I think that's another good example of where our values and, by the way, North Dakota is a big leading state uh, with the refugee program. Sure is. I know that because I, I, I was uh, blessed to be the uh, head of immigration in the uh, George W. Uh, Bush 43 administration and ran the uh, immigration and the refugee programs. But what some people uh, may not uh, be aware of, put the values aside, and that stands up, you know, with our, our, what, uh, our history is all about. But it's good business again. Um, we have, uh, Cargill has beef processing plants around the country, and they're large beef uh, processing plants. And it's hard work. It's in places like Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas. And we can't, we can't hire enough people to uh, work those plants. And so uh, we are always about 1,500 to 1,800 workers short. And we then have to compensate for that. What does that mean? It means everybody here is losing money on a business uh, uh, basis because of that. The way we uh, attack that is that we have uh, a, a, a program where we take refugees in and we have refugee programs right there where our beef plants are because refugees like coming in and getting a job for $20 an hour. And they come in, they work hard, they become good citizens, and they're excellent employees. Um, the problem is, is that we're going from 66,000 refugees quota a year down to less than 20,000. Now, there are a lot of smart uh, businessmen and women in Cargo right now with their sharp pencils. I'm not one of them. 
Uh, but they're going to do all of this, and they're going to figure out, we know it's going to cost us in those plants. It's going to cost our business uh, because we're losing those refugees there. And wow, right? So what did you take from that? Refugees, because this is an Omar thing. This is how they facilitate. Did you hear him? He sat there. I want you guys, I'm retweeting it right now from Chris Berg's feed. I want you guys to take a look at how uncomfortable Kevin Kramer, remember, is one of the very few senators, former congresspersons that is actually a public servant. He was comfortable with the conversation at the beginning and then uncomfortable. Why? Refugees are not people you give work that an American will not do. You do not demean people in that manner. Think if you were a refugee, guys, say you were in Venezuela and say I was in Venezuela and I exposed the government or I tried to help people from not getting killed or liquefied or organ donated or anything. And my government kills half my family, but I have the other half and I run to the embassy and I ask for help from the United States. Do I expect to come to the United States under refugee status to do a job that you've just described nobody wants to do? Never. That's inhumane. That is not what we stand for. To consider them a business method, a a mode of business to drive your profit is disgusting. That's a Democrat talking point. And I was so proud to see Kevin Kramer uncomfortable. So proud that this guy has me behind him as a cheerleader all the way. Let me not say that I'd be like, yo, if he became president, I'd totally be game. He's not ready for it yet, but I would totally be game. I would be right behind him. Because that is how uncomfortable everybody should be when you hear things like this. When you hear that we bring them and we give them a $20 job because nobody wants to do it. And now that the president's cutting these refugee programs, we're going to not have enough employees. That made me uncomfortable to see humans as what, guys? A commodity. How did it make you feel? It's just what the Democrats are doing to these migrants that are illegally coming over the border from Mexico. They think they're coming and they're going to experience the American dream. Instead, they're being trafficked. Instead, they have to clean toilets because they can't do anything else because they're not allowed to because they were brought with this. And that is only it. In my state, I am such a huge advocate to stop this refugee program. Only because the refugees that they are bringing do not want to assimilate. So under the guise of a good business deal, we are bringing in these terrorists, just like we did Omar. This is a money-making business. We are literally paying to bring these people over. We scout to bring the refugees. You heard him say it. This is not the way it operates. And you know what? We've been doing it for a long time. We've been telling other countries what to do for a long time. We have been fixing every single election for a long time, not only within our nation, across the nation, but across the world. This is obscene behavior, and no one should be treated like that. We do not stand for that. And the president saw that. This is why he is reducing the refugees we are allowing and making it highly selective. Not because, uh, you know, we're scared of all of them, but because we don't want them to be treated like that. 
Nobody deserves to be treated like that. I think we can all agree on that. Yes? Nobody does. Now, during the course of our investigation in regards to the DNC orchestrated scheme into election fraud, um, in the state of Kentucky and other states, because this has been going on for a while, and I've been on top of this election fraud since 2016, okay? You know, obviously in 2016, just so you know, the Department of Homeland Security was caught, was literally caught rummaging through electoral, you know, programs, tallying of votes. And they were like, oh, we're just checking that nothing's going wrong. But I've already told you that you can't even check if they're doing anything wrong because of the trap door. So something smells, right? Now, during this investigation, we found a link between the Ukraine and Mitt Romney's son, which led me to other links and other links. Here's the thing. Mitt Romney's son, Tag, um, has, uh, along with Mitt Romney's um, former campaign manager, uh, Solomir Capital. And they invested in software of Heart InterCivic. Heart InterCivic actually owns the patent of electronic voting ballot counting machines, electronic voting machines, tallying them, the votes, everything. And so from there, you know, doing your homework, looking around, you see more. Now, during the course of that, I also found the astonishing factcheck.org posting from November 2nd, 2012, when rumors were going around, rumors, they say rumors, were going around that Mitt Romney's son, Tag, owned Ohio's electronic voting machines. Here's how it went. Question, does Mitt Romney's son, Tag, own Ohio's electronic voting machine? Answer. There's no evidence of that. A spokesman for Tag Romney's private equity firm states that there is no stake in Heart in a Civic, a supplier of voting machine in two of Ohio's 88 counties. That is categorically false. You can go to Wikipedia and look up Heart Inner Civic, H-A-R-T, Inner Civic, and in there it literally tells you that Tag Romney and Mayor Romney's finance campaign, campaign finance manager co-owned Solomir Capital, which invested in another investment firm that invested in Heart Inner Civic in 2011. So this is where even factcheck.org lied. Now, over three weeks ago, I reported to you that in early 24, as early as in 2014, the Obama administration was seeking out a way out of Iran, you know, with the nuclear energy. I mean, they had their, they had their hands and their fingers in all these pies, but they needed to find a way, um, in, in, into the EU nuclear market. Cause the EU is getting a little bit like, you know, yeah, we need to do this easy. We can't just force people into this, blah, blah, blah. Well, Mikola Shalevsky, who was the owner of Burisma, like I said to you guys th- three weeks ago, uh, approached um, John Kerry and Joe Biden at the end of like February. Uh, that's the time frame. So you would say mid-February to mid, you know, first week of March. Um, that he was in trouble and under criminal investigation of, uh, you know, by the United Kingdom for um, thirty-five million dollars worth of laundered money. And long story short, uh, like I've said before, uh, the conversation went like, help me out with this and we could split the profits of Burisma. And it's that point that in March that Hunter Biden was offered the job with Burisma and he officially joined them on May 12, 2014. Now you'll say, okay, Tori, but that's, that's quid pro Joe, you know? Yeah, it is. But here's where the past is proving the future. 
President Barack Hussein Obama in 2014 had put out a package of crisis support for the Ukraine. That package was a $50 million to help the Ukraine pursue political, economic reform and strengthen their partnership within the United States. Now, one thing people don't know is, is that in 2005, Bush had formally created a relationship with the Ukraine, offering them a $50 million line of credit so that, uh, you know, the people of the Ukraine would buy our products. So they would be offering money to the consumer market through their uh, Ukrainian export-import bank with our U.S. export-import bank, you know, the one that Nancy Pelosi is freaking out about right now to make sure a law is passed covering them right so and in the article i will find that video and slot it in there in other words we had provided them a 50 million dollar revolving loan and that head of that bank that ukrainian export import bank right um was is now you know being charged with suspicion of creating an organized crime group embezzlement and money laundering Now, I also reported to you just a little while ago that Eric Braverman, who was the CEO of the Clinton Foundation, suddenly resigned from his job in January of 2015 and disappeared, not resurfacing until January 2017, right before the inauguration of the president of the United States. What was he doing in the Ukraine? He was facilitating cash transactions to the Clinton Foundation within the Ukraine. Again, through this Ukrainian export-import bank. Not only that, you know, I realized that he also facilitated the investment into CrowdStrike, which is a Ukrainian company, not a U.S. company, okay, owned by a Russian-born Ukrainian. And it demonstrated the fact we all know that election fraud is not just a problem in the United States. It's worldwide. They're fixing elections worldwide. And the Europe, the Europeans are a little bit more subtle. You know, obviously they're funding the election software companies across the planet. They're fixing all the elections. I mean, you have to think, why in the world would the U.S. and the EU be teaming up together aggressively, right? Data mining via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any social media, and using all your search history through Google, partnering up with electronic voting machine software companies. Be like, what? Yes. Why does Google own all of this? So if we look into the past, we have to go travel back in time to about February 2014. There was this huge, massive story by the BBC, how a leaked phone call between Victoria Newland and um, the ambassador, uh, Jeffrey Pyatt, came out and how they had this, you know, uh, conversation. Now, this was leaked by Russia. Russia leaked that conversation. We have to remember there was the so-called annexation of Crimea, uh, Donbass, you know, the Ukrainians that are like, nope, we don't want to be part of the EU. We want to be an independent Ukraine, but we trust Russia more than we do the EU. And so the Russians wanted the world to know what the United States and the EU were doing in the Ukraine. And so they released this audio and everyone kind of said, oh, yeah, you know, we're just helping. Let me. Let me read you a quote from the transcript, because in my article, I'll have the full four minutes and somewhat of the audio. But it says on that piece, Newland says, when I wrote the note to Sullivan and Sullivan, Jake Sullivan, is Biden's president Biden, you know, the vice president at the time, national security advisor. She said, when I wrote a note to Sullivan to come back to me, 
uh, saying, uh, you know, um, you need Biden. And I said probably tomorrow for an attaboy and to get the deets to stick. So Biden's willing. Uh, this is like the legit transcript. And Pyatt says, OK, great. Thanks. What was happening in this conversation? It was the fact that, hey, we're getting Biden to come over here and bully them. What were they doing on this phone call? The U.S. has been meddling in the Ukraine affairs for a very long time. And Barack Hussein Obama made it so through law in early 2014, the first quarter of 2014. And what we did is, what we know is, is that we used our federal taxpayer dollars to marshal the Ukrainian opposition and to maneuver them with private encouragement in the UN to back us up because the EU was like, butt out, man, you're rushing this. This is not good. Basically, what was happening at that moment, if you remember, the the EU is dependent on Russia for energy. And the U.S. was rushing this, really, really rushing this. And they were like, listen, man, we don't want the Russians to skyrocket our energy. We got to do this carefully. And the U.S. said, no, 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 we're going to like give them all this money and we're going to sit there and we're going to observe their elections and we're going to make sure the people that we want are in office because we said so. So we funded their election security. We even sent our own specialists to oversee their elections and marshal and coach their politicians. In the meantime, Pelosi, Kerry, Romney, and then some Republicans and Democrats made bank because the only way you can strong arm a government is to strong arm their cartels and their cartels were the oligarchs and they made personal profit using our tax dollars to extort a government on the backs of your tax dollars and on at the expense of the Ukrainian people. This just makes Russia look like the good guy at the end, doesn't it? That article will be coming out soon. On that note, I want to wish all of you a wonderful evening. Please be objective and remember, you're the news now. So it's what you share, what you talk about that shapes our reality in this timeline. God bless from all of us at Red State.